Good morning. Welcome. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Mark. I serve as the pastor here at our Syracuse campus. Um, and I'm excited to welcome you guys here to our, our fourth week um, on this series on anxiety. We're calling it Anxious for Nothing. Um, this is focusing on that famous anxiety chapter in the Bible, uh, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, so far, what we've done in the first week, we've kind of focused on what Paul says were, are the keys to overcoming anxiety, okay? And he says that overthrowing it with worry and replacing it with prayer is an important thing to do, that that's, that's a key to overcoming anxiety. Also, to verbalize your needs, to be honest with God, be open with him about your fears, your anxiety. Um, and then, most of all, it's to thank God for the wins, to recognize where he is working in our lives. Just like the song we were just singing talks about, like, there are times that we don't see him working, and we find out later on he was working all along through that. Recognizing those things um, and, and praising and thanking God for that, that's one of those keys to overcoming anxiety that we talked about in week one. And then in the last two weeks, we've kind of talked about the different avenues that anxiety may take in our lives, um, different places that we need to apply those keys of victory, okay? We discussed anxiety around having a... Um, a sense of control. We, we feel like we have a sense of control around our lives and things in our lives when we talked about um, that really that's an illusion, but, but that is a sense of anxiety that a lot of us struggle with. Um, and then last week we talked about anxiety with our thoughts that run wild sometimes and what, what to do with those, how to deal with those. Uh, today, though, we're going to talk about uh, another thing that, that seems to draw anxiety out of us in our lives. Okay, We're going to talk about um, anxiety that a lot of us are probably going to feel coming up this week and into the holidays. Um, you know, we have Thanksgiving coming up this week on Thursday, um, and before we know it, Christmas is going to be here. And this is an awesome time of year. I love this time of year. I'm sure you guys do. It's a joyous time, but it, it can also be a time that does bring about a lot of anxiety. Okay? And one of the biggest reasons for that anxiety can be relationships. Okay, So today, we're going to talk about when people make you anxious, okay? Now, as I'm looking around here, I know a lot of you, and I, I, you know, I know you all pretty well, and, and because of that, I can tell, I, I don't think we really need this today, right? None of us struggle with relationships. We don't have any anxiety. Our friends and family relationships are just top-notch, right? So um, that's it. We're good. Let's go home. No, no. Since I know so many of you, and since I know my own personal struggles, this is, this is something that we do need to talk about. Um, this is something that we all struggle with. And what we do know is when we read the Bible, we know that to God, relationships are important. They're extremely important. Paul knew that, and he addressed it. Um, he addressed it in, in chapter 4 here in his letter to the Philippians. We're going to go back. We've, we've been in chapter 4 um, mostly in verses 6 and 7 is, is the anxious for nothing kind of passage, right? And that's what the, the series has centrally been located on. But we've been going, you know, a little before and ahead and pulling different things that draw anxiety out of us in that. So we're going to go back to verse, verses 2 and 3 today. Um, and it says, Now I appeal to you, Yodia and Syntyche, the, obviously the easiest names to ever pronounce in the Bible are listed right here. I appeal to you, Yodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. 
And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. <clears throat> so we can see here, there's obviously a disagreement going on, and we don't know exactly what that is. The Bible doesn't lay that out. We don't, we don't really find out exactly what's going on, but whatever it was, it's causing division, okay? And it was important enough for Paul to address it in his letter to the church at Philippi. Um, especially because the, these two are obviously a crucial part of the church. Paul, Paul says that they worked hard for me in telling others the good news. They may have been some sort of church leaders or something, and these two are having a disagreement, and, and obviously that's going to trickle down and affect other people. And we can all relate to this, can't we? We can all relate. Um, we've all experienced relational stress um, and division. Uh, so let's talk about, I want to go over a few examples of the different uh, types of relational anxiety that we can have, these types of problems that might come up, okay? So these are the, these are the five examples that I want to talk about really quickly. So this first one, walking on eggshells, okay? This is where someone is so sensitive that you just have to be super cautious about any topic you bring up. I'm, I'm sure we can all think of people in our lives who are like this, or maybe if we can be honest with ourselves, we've been this person before too. Because um, just about anything can tip them over the edge, right? Can tip you over the edge. So rather than have um, any real normal dialogue, you're just tiptoeing around, right? It's like walking on eggshells. And that's stressful, right? That brings about anxiety. Um, here's another one, the, the elephant in the room. So everyone knows about some unresolved issue that's going on uh, inside of this group of people. Maybe it's between you and somebody. Maybe it's between two other people inside the group. But everybody knows about this issue, but nobody's going to bring it up. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everyone likes to act like nothing is wrong, that everything's okay, when they all know otherwise. And any conversation that might even hint at that situation, any, any conversation that, that comes up that might hint at it, it's just avoided at all cost. So people are just tiptoeing around, same way as the eggshells, but it's the elephant in the room, okay? Another one is, we're going to call this the internal time bomb. Have you ever had that person in your life that just seemed to know how to irritate you? Like they just knew exactly what to say to get under your skin, and even though you try, you try to be patient, right? You try to be patient uh, and loving, but the frustration, it's just like they keep digging and digging, and that frustration just builds and builds and builds until finally you just blow up, right? You blow up and it, it, you, loss of control, that's the internal time bomb. This next one, triangulation. This is when people in the, inside of a conflict, you know, two people have a conflict with one another, and they try to to pull another person or other people into this conflict that they have. Uh, this one, I, I've experienced it myself. I, see, I grew up with three sisters, and, and later on I did. I, I had a stepsister and a, another half-brother and sister, but, but I grew up initially with my three sisters, um, and you can imagine how that was. But the, when this really happened was when we got older, kind of into adulthood, and... Um, and for some reason, I don't know why, I just kind of became the designated mediator between my three sisters. <clears throat> so I'd get a call from them one night. You know, one of them would call me up, just ticked off about something another one had said or done, and they're just, they're just going on and on and on. 
Um, and I'd listen patiently, try to kind of temper the situation uh, as best I could, <clears throat> knowing that within an hour, the other one was going to be calling me, doing the exact same thing. And I can tell you that the stress of trying to listen and acknowledge you know, everything that they're saying while doing my best not to validate uh, the mean things that they would say about each other, uh, that was not really a, a very pleasant experience a lot of times. So first-hand experience of that one. Uh, the other one, this, this last one, this is something we are all good at. We all are so good at this, this finger-pointing. Um, anytime we have a disagreement with someone, we, are, we, don't, we don't like to take the blame, right? We'll, we might take a little bit of the blame. We might be like, yeah, you know, maybe I could have done this better, but they're like 99% the problem, right? That's, that's the finger-pointing because I can't be wrong, obviously, so these are, just some, um, these are just some of the types of anxiety that we can experience in relationships. And there's, there's plenty more. You can probably come up with more examples on your own. Um, but hopefully some of these made you think about some of the conflicts or disagreements that you've experienced before or maybe you're experiencing now. Okay? Think, uh, issues that you had with someone maybe in your family or with friends or maybe with, even with somebody at church. Um, and when you think about those times, uh, realize that it isn't ever just the two people involved um, who suffer from it, okay? Everyone around ends up suffering when these things go unresolved, when there's these types of relational issues going on. And Paul, he gave specific instructions on what to do when these conflicts arise, right? What did he say in those verses? He said, settle your disagreement." Right? So we're called to settle our disagreements. Easier said than done, isn't it? How do, we, how do we do that? How do we settle our disagreements? The examples we went over first, those are something that we like to use as solutions, aren't they? They're things that we think, well, this might help. I'll just ignore the problem. <laughs> right? Um, those are strategies that many of us use on a regular basis when we experience conflict. Uh, but they're ineffective solutions. They really are. In fact, uh, not only are they ineffective, but they tend to escalate the problem, escalate the issue, rather than solve it, rather than de-escalate it. So instead of, instead of using those, those uh, ways that we've done in the past or, or ways that a lot of us struggle to uh, deal with them, we, we want to look at... Um, a few that are biblical, okay? We want to look at some, some practical, biblically practical ways to deal with relational anxiety, okay? Now, the first one that we're going to talk about here is commit to being a peacemaker. In Romans 12, 18, Paul says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, I really want to focus on that. Like, what is he saying there? He's saying, do all that you can to live in peace with anyone. He's saying... Um, do something. Do something. It's, it, he wants, he's calling us to action, right? He isn't saying to avoid things, to run away from them, to pretend like everything's okay, um, to just stuff it and move on. He's saying to do something. Do all that you can requires action. This is one of those marks of a true Christian, okay? One who is obedient to Christ. We respond, we should respond to everything with truth, in love. Truth in love. And those things have to go hand in hand with one another. 
especially <clears throat> when it comes to disagreements. This is, it's never more important to have truth and love when, when trying to settle disagreements. See, the original examples that I shared, those were not examples of, of sharing truth and love, right? Um, they, they either lack truth by hiding and, 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 and trying to stuff things, not dealing with them, uh, not being open and honest about them, or they were unloving, like drawing other people into the conflict, um, or pointing fingers, not taking responsibility. It's unloving. So we're told to do all that we can to live at peace with others. Obviously, that isn't always going to be easy, is it? It's uncomfortable a lot of times having to have the difficult conversations that we really need to have. Uh, but it's always worth it to deal with the conflict uh, rather than avoid it, which is, which is what we tend to do. And, and to be honest, it's not always going to work out. It doesn't always work out when we do try to deal with it. Uh, it doesn't work out the way that, that we want anyways. Uh, for reconciliation to take place, both parties have to want to be reconciled, right? Uh, but regardless of what the other person does as a Christian, we're called to do, we're called to do our part. Um, there's, there's actually a phrase I want to share in, uh, in uh, addiction recovery groups. We, we like to use this phrase a lot. We say, you've got to clean your side of the street, okay? Because part, part of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps, is reconciliation. It's going and it's making amends to people. And so when we say clean your side of the street, that's Romans 12, 18 in action. It's going and doing anything and everything that you can to make amends. Regardless of what the other person does, you've cleaned your side of the street. You've done your part. In Philippians 2, if we back up a couple chapters, verses 1 and 2, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. So let's ask ourselves that. Are, are our hearts tender and compassionate. Um, if we have fellowship with each other, and, and most importantly, if we have fellowship with the Spirit, then the answer should be yes. And if that's the case, then we should be able to make peacemaker, be able to be peacemakers. We should be able to do that, settling our disagreements with other Christians and working together. See, that's the advantage that we should have as Christians when we have disagreements with one another. The, the thing that really helps us to reconcile easier than non-believers is that we have one mind and one purpose, like it says in these verses. Let's go back again at, in, at, in verse 2 there. He says, Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Why is he saying these two women should settle their disagreement? Um, and why should we be able to settle disagreements with any other Christian? It's because... We belong to the Lord. We are all part of the body of Christ. We're, we're his body, his church. Okay? Um, and if we've, accepted his, if, we's, if we've accepted Jesus as the Lord of our life, um, we're, no, we're no longer our own. See, my, my life is his. My life was bought with a heavy price. Uh, I no longer belong to myself. I belong to the Lord. 
And I should, this really, this idea should bring a level of, it should bring a level of humility and a recognition of the unity that each and every one of us has in Christ. And also, as Christians, we're, what are we called to do? We're called to shine the light, right? We're, we're not called to respond and behave and act the same way that the rest of the world does. We're, we're called to be holy and set apart. <clears throat> so we're not supposed to operate the same way as the rest of the world, and that should be most especially evident in our relationships. The rest of the world, um, really, they, they like to retaliate, right? They, um, they like to take revenge. Um, we're called to be Christ's ambassadors, uh, to reflect his nature and his glory to the rest of the world. Okay? That's, that's what we're called to do. And how, how are we going to do that if, if that's not reflected in the relationships that we have with those around us? Now, the next practical step I want to talk about is um, it's, it's good. this one takes a lot of humility and a lot of empathy. And that's really what I wanted to hammer down on that. <clears throat> because putting yourself in their shoes is not easy. Uh, but in Philippians 2.4, Paul says, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, our natural instinct in any, in any conflict, in any situation like that that, that comes up, it's to... Uh, it's to just share our perspective, right? Like, I just want to, I just want to, I'm hurt, um, or I'm having a hard time here, and I just want to tell people, I want to vocalize my perspective on the issue. The problem is that the person that you're disagreeing with has the same issue going on. They have their own perspective. You can't see theirs, and they can't see yours. Not unless um, you're able to, to talk about it, okay? Um, you want to be able to vocalize your own point of view, but be able to, to see someone else's point of view as well. The only way you're going to be able to see things differently is to listen to somebody else's point of view, to try to understand them. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to validate or completely agree with everything that they're saying or the way that they see things. That's, that's not what that means. But it's just understanding that they have a different viewpoint than you. It does mean that we recognize they have a different perspective. Um, and this is, this is going to be one of the most crucial things in order to settle a disagreement, is being able to accept that there are different viewpoints than my own. See, without seeing somebody else's point of view, without seeing their perspective, there's very, very little chance of reconciliation. And it takes, as I said before, it takes a lot of humility to be able to do this. And I don't think any of us are probably very good at it. Um, but in the spirit, we can do that. We can practice that, that level of humility. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Is there, is there a, a prayer or a song or, or something that could be more humbling than this? to um, ask God to reveal anything in us that offends him. I mean, honestly, that's, that's one of the most frightening things to me, to ask God to reveal in me what offends him. But that level of humility and that level of vulnerability is really where God wants us. That's where he wants us. Um, that's where we can get outside of ourselves 
and, and really let the Spirit lead us. Let the, let the Spirit give us a, a different perspective, a different viewpoint. And it, brings, it also brings about an awareness um, of the grace that God offers us. It, 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 it really, it, it's a reminder of that grace that he offers us, that even with all the offenses we have before him, that he, he still loves us and forgives us and chooses us. And that, that, that grace that we become aware of, now when we really focus on that, it's so much easier to give grace to other people. When I'm really aware of the grace I've been given, I'm much more, it's much easier to extend that to others. Now the next practical point here is to talk to them and not about them. Okay? <clears throat> it's, it's a lot easier to talk to other people, isn't it? It's so much easier to talk about somebody we have an issue with with other people um, rather than dealing directly with them, rather than going to that person. Uh, we'll do, as humans, we'll do almost anything to avoid difficult situations. Right? We will uh, avoid conflict at, at any cost, it seems like. Uh, we don't like to do difficult things, including having a hard, honest conversation with somebody else. Uh, but because it's something that bothers me, right? If I, if I have an issue and I don't want to approach that person and it's bothering me, it's eating away at me, I want to talk about it. I want to get it out. So I'm going to go talk to somebody else about it, right? Um, because I'm just, I, it's, I'm frustrated, right? I, it's, I need to talk about it. But another motive might not be just to get it out and talk about it, but another motive may be I'm, I'm trying to seek out people to validate my point of view, to validate uh, me and my opinion on the matter. But when, when we do that, when, if I've done that, all I've done is escalated the situation. I've escalated it um, by, avoiding the conversa by avoiding the difficult conversation, letting that issue just build and, and stew, um, but also by disrespecting the other person, disrespecting them by uh, bad-mouthing them to others instead of taking my issue directly to them. So it, it, it escalates, it builds, it, it, it really compounds this situation, this issue that I have. See, Jesus instructed us exactly what to do when we feel we have an issue with another believer, okay? It says in Matthew 18, 15, and if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. He doesn't tell us to go and invent to other people. That's not what he tells us to do um, when someone has wronged us. He says, go and directly deal with that person. Just the two of you. And if it can, and if it can be reconciled, what does it say here? It says, you've, you've won that person back, right? And, 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 and also, there's not going to be all this gossiping and... and um, other people judging the situation, you've avoided all of that if you can reconcile between the two of you, okay? Uh, if, if you're able to reconcile and, 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 like it says, win them back, I think that's the case because they recognize that you've, you've done something hard on their behalf, on your guys' relationship's behalf. You're, you were willing to go and have that difficult conversation, and that means something. That's a big deal. Because too many people in our, in our culture today are, are just so willing to toss relationships to the wind. 
when it gets hard, just write it off and let it go. I mean, look at the rates of divorce in our country today. It, it, you know, it, it's just so, so prevalent that, that people don't want to do the hard things and stay together. And we can bring a humble attitude, a humble attitude to the conversation, okay? Um, when we're willing, when we're, when we're humble, we're, we're actually willing to compromise more. We're willing to, to bend, and, 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 and that's, that brings about a sense of reconciliation as well uh, that probably couldn't be there without that humble attitude. Because it isn't always just about me and what I want out of the situation, okay? Relationship requires selfless love. See, in Romans 12, uh, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Jesus made it simple, if you remember, when he was challenged by the Pharisees about what is the most important commandment. And he says, it's to love God and the second is like it, to love others. See, if we claim to love God, we should love other people. And be willing to sacrifice for them. See, love isn't just a feeling. That's what, our, that's what our world tells us today, that love is just a feeling. I should just feel love for somebody. Love isn't a feeling. Love is an action. We're called to love people. We're not called to just feel love. Just, just love the people that we feel love for. We're called to love. Love is an action. And this brings us to our last point here. Is that we should be ready to absorb the offense. This is, this is the hard one. See, sometimes we may do everything that we can to try to reconcile with another person, but they may not want peace. They may not want to forgive. They may want to hold on to that unforgiveness, that bitterness towards you. And, and that can be really painful, uh, especially when you've done everything you can, when you have tried and tried and tried but we can follow Jesus' example that he set for the rest of us. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 to 8, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He died a criminal's death on a cross. See, I may feel that I deserve to be forgiven by somebody. I may, I may feel that. That I deserve reconciliation. I've done all this work. I'm, I'm extending myself. I deserve forgiveness and reconciliation. But if I truly love that person, regardless, I can absorb the offense. I can absorb it. Because of what this says. Jesus first did it for me. He absorbed my offense. I don't deserve the reconciliation with God that, that, Jesus, that Jesus brought forth. I was a rebel. I was a sinner. But he absorbed the offense for me a long time ago. <clears throat> long before I ever even accepted that gift of reconciliation, he made that. He did that work for me. See, we were God's enemies when he sent his son to die for our sins. He did that out of a love for us. And that's the same love that we're called to extend, even to those that we struggle with, those that we might call 
our enemies. In Romans 12, 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This doesn't come naturally to us. It just doesn't. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we accept that gift of grace that he offers us, the Bible tells us that the Spirit takes up residence in our heart. And out of that, if we, if we stay connected to the Spirit, we're going we're gonna to experience the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentle, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we allow those fruits to grow, we can extend that love, that grace to other people, and that sacrificial love that Jesus offered us. So I want to close with this last verse, 1 John 4, 7 to 8. <clears throat> Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example that you set for us, that, that you humbled yourself, that you came in and even though we were rebels and sinners before you, you didn't want to leave us there. Lord, we are so grateful um, that you did the work for us that we couldn't do ourselves. That you did the work um, to reconcile us, to fix that relationship, to repair that relationship that was broken. And Lord, I just pray that we would, we would really focus on that, that we would let that impact our lives, that we would let that impact the relationships around us that we would let that, that sense of grace flow out of us to the, to the relationships that we struggle with around us every day. Any relationship we're in, we know there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be struggles. But Lord, you call us to humble ourselves, to do everything that we can to be at peace. The only way we can do that is to be connected to you, to stay connected to the vine, to let you grow that fruit in our lives, of love towards others. Lord, I pray today that if there's, there's something that you're revealing in us, uh, some issue, um, some disagreement that we have not dealt with, that we are running away from, that we're stuffing, uh, that we're using these ineffective ways of dealing with it, Lord, that you would really make those known to us, that you would convict us to go and deal with those things. And Lord, I pray as we, as we get into the holidays, as we're getting around family members that a lot of us family members are the most difficult relationships we have, that Lord, you would give us a sense of peace and, and, and love to be able to extend that to those that we, that we struggle with. Lord, we, we love you for what you've done for us, for how much you love us, for how much you work through us. Lord, we, we love you for that. We praise you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.